credit scores, down payments, interest rates. Car buying can be a numbers game, but you don't have to be a math expert to get the keys to your dream car. Just use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. Crunch your numbers and get personalized results so you know exactly how much you'll pay each month for your car. It's like having a magic wand for your wallet. Presto! The car you've been wanting is now within reach. So hit the road and leave your calculator at home. Auto Trader. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck and Jerry's here, too. So this is Stuff You Should Know, the Murder Family Edition. Yeah, Halloween right around the corner. I've always liked to think of you, me, and Jerry as a kind of murder family. Uh, As in you and I and Jerry, right? We always have to correct that because people think you're talking about you, me, your wife. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Yes. You, you, me, comma, you, comma, me, comma. No, no. I mean, me, my wife, Yumi, and Jerry. I've always thought of oh, us as just a, us two. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, did, I missed what you said, though. You thought of us as what? A murder family? A murder family, yeah. Sure. In the kindest possible way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, we're no murder family. And after everybody learns about the bloody benders, they'll be like, yeah, Josh and Chuck and Jerry are no murder family. Um, and we wouldn't want to be either because it turns out murder families are not so great, Chuck. Uh, right. And can we shout out a listener who submitted this topic? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's. I feel like that's happening more and more a lately. A lot, yeah. As our world gets smaller, our listeners are reminding us that it is quite large. <laughs> uh, and we got this one from a Kansan. Oh, that's very Can- appropriate. Is that how you say it? Kansan? I think it's Kansanianite. Okay. <laughs> Kansanianite. <laughs> uh, named Star White. And apparently Star was traveling uh, with uh, the family through Kansas Mm -hmm. and saw signs in Montgomery County for the benders, the bloody benders, Mm -hmm. and things commemorating this and said, I'm a a Kansanianite, Mm -hmm. and I had no idea that this was a thing. Uh, I got to learn more about this. So we're doing one. You know, we like to keep it spooky in October where we can. Sure. For sure. And there's nothing spookier than a serial killing family. Interestingly, too, um, this past, I think, March, um, what I'm taking to be is a, one of the definitive books on the Benders came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Hell's Half Acre. Uh, and it is by an author named. Named a drum roll. <laughs> named uh, Susan Jonusis. That's how I'm going with her last name. But it came out in March. It's called Hell's Head Faker, and um, it does look pretty awesome. So I figured that had to do with this. But no, it's just completely off the cuff from a listener from Kansas, huh? Just driving through. Great name, too, by the way. Star White. What a great name. It's almost like Star Wipe. (laughs) No wonder you like it. (laughs) It's your favorite transition. That's right. Uh, I do know a bender, actually, but this is, I don't think there's any uh, relation. 
Yeah, because it's not entirely clear that that was even their names, too. So we should tell everybody. We're we're talking about a family that lived in Kansas in the 1870s at a time when Kansas was like the frontier, maybe Mm -hmm. even maybe even beyond the frontier. Um, The Trail of Tears had happened by this time, so the Osage uh, people who had lived there previously had been forced off their land and moved further west to Oklahoma, and the federal government said, come anybody, all you criminals, you unsavory characters, people escaping your past, come and settle here in Kansas. (laughs) It's like Australia, (laughs) but in the center of the United States. That's right. Did you do bad things back east? (laughs) Right. Just pick up your bags and head west. That's precisely right. And so a lot of them stopped in Kansas. Again, this was the frontier. But people were still going west, too. So um, as we'll find out, this this family, the Bender family, kind of put up a a claim or set down a claim. They did something with the claim. I'm not not quite up on my, like, um, old prospector terminology. They claimed something. Yeah, on this road that kind of kept leading west. And they they set up a, a tavern, an inn, for people to stop in, which is neither here nor there quite yet. But I just kind of wanted to foreshadow that there's going to be a tavern coming in the future. <laughs> that's right. And that's probably a generous term for what they set up. Yeah. Uh, it was a pretty remote, well, I guess, you know, not to make too many Kansas jokes, but uh, it was a pretty remote part of Kansas in uh, southeastern Kansas in 1870. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not Cherryvale yet, but it would eventually become Cherryvale. Right. And at first, the two uh, gentlemen arrived. John Bender Sr. He was around 60 years old. Uh, people called him Pa. He didn't talk a lot. Uh, when he did talk, it was mostly in German. Uh, and then he was with a younger guy in his 20s. And, you know, we're going to say things like identified as his son or, you know, may or may not have been the daughter. Like, right. this is because of a lot of things. Uh, partially, just, you know, a lot of record keeping back then wasn't super solid, uh, especially when it turns out you may be using aliases mm-hmm. and you may be faking that you're a family or you may actually be a family. Like, no one really knows for sure uh, the facts of this. But uh, John Bender Jr. was with him. Uh, and he also uh, occasionally went by an alias, <laughs> uh, put a pen in this one, named uh, John Gebhardt. Chris Gebhardt. Now, he's a comedian. He's great. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, but apparently John Gebhardt, or John Bender Jr., um, was a bit of a comedian himself. But sort of. from some reports, he was his own audience and no one else was. So uh, to put it another way, he apparently laughed at stuff like inappropriately, like Dr. Hibbert. Um, and also at times when, <laughs> exactly, it, that was a great John Bender Jr. impression, by the way. <laughs> but um, at, at times where people were like, this, this guy ain't quite right. And he also talked a lot. So he was kind of a, an odd fixture as well, as we'll find out the whole family was. Yeah, he had a German accent, but did speak fluent English. Uh, And some people think he may have been intellectually disabled. Um, Looking at kind of some of the things that happened, it seems like, uh, I don't know about clear, but, you know, at a time in 1870, they wouldn't have been categorizing people as such anyway, you know. No, for sure. But from the, the articles of the time, that's what I'm going with from now on. Um, they, 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 nobody said anything even remotely like that. I saw it on one, I think a crime reads article and that was about it. I just got the, the uh, impression that he was really kind of weird and almost like a, a Jethro Clampett type. That's who he reminds me of. Okay. Uh, so what they built, uh, on their 160 acres was, uh, you called it a tavern. I call it just a big room 
kind of like a bunk <laughs> a, a bunkhouse maybe they call yeah. it a, or Olivia who helped us with this called it a foothouse mm-hmm. uh, but it was 16 feet wide 24 feet long so what they eventually did was they would uh, put up a, a canvas sheet kind of splitting it in two they lived in the back and then they called you know they called it an inn uh, you called it a tavern it was really just a room with some canned goods and supplies and I think a couple of beds right uh, sort of like a bunkhouse it was not fancy at all no but I'm guessing like as you were passing through Kansas back then and maybe even today it was pretty appealing you think <laughs> Well, I mean, it was better than sleeping out on the open prairie with the bedroll, right? You know, there was a hot meal. You know, they probably had tobacco. And, yeah, I mean, it was better than nothing. And I think I get the impression also one of the things that made it better than nothing was um, the daughter who I say we meet right now. Her name was Kate, and she showed up after this this tavern, this house had been built. That's right. Uh, the two ladies were sent for after everything was done, and it was Ma Bender. Uh, who everyone just sort of assumed was the wife and the uh, the matriarch of the family. Uh, she went by Elvira sometimes. Uh, she was maybe in her 50s and led on like she didn't speak any, if uh, very little, if any, English at all. But had like a terrible temper. She was widely reputed about, uh, from anybody that met her that she was just a, a terrible cuss of a person from what I, I gather. Yeah, I, in fact, I think... She may have been the one sort of leading this whole charge that we'll yeah. get to. I've seen both. I've seen her or I've seen Kate. And Kate Kate was the daughter. She was um, in her 20s. But I think more than anything, um, she uh, kind of attracted passersby with flyers um, advertising her mediumship. Like she was into spiritualism and free love, apparently, too. And who knows what that means in 1870s Kansas. She was showing a little ankle. I don't know. Like, I have no idea what free love means in that context, but it was unusual, at least, and got mm-hmm. attention. Mm-hmm. Um, some people thought she may have been the daughter. Other people thought that they presented uh, she and John Jr. as um, a couple. So it was just sort of one of those things. It's 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 loose out there in 1870s Kansas. Right. So one other thing I read, Chuck, that Livy didn't quite hit on um, was that this family, they they weren't like exactly – you know, fading into the woodwork or the prairie. Like, they were well-known in their little community, mainly because there were only, like, eight or ten other settlements around them at the time. But also because I think they were the only ones running a tavern, and they had an orchard that will factor in later. But apparently their cherries and apples and peaches were, like, really prized out there at the time. So they were part of the community, but they were known to be weird, and Ma in particular, which you just kind of avoided her as best as you could. Right. So they have this thing set up. Uh, It's on the edge of the Great Osage Trail, which is, uh, like you mentioned earlier, where a lot of people continued westward. Mm -hmm. And it was a good place to have a a little bunkhouse that, that, you know, sold a few things. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? A general store. No. (laughs) Um, Ollie's Bargain House. Rations. Oh, okay. Yeah. Selling rations and things like that. They sell rations at Ollie's. What is Ollie's? It's like um, a deep discount liquid area. Like if you stole a, a, a truck, you just drive it over there and they'll buy everything and then turn around and sell it. I don't think they actually do that, but it's the <laughs> right. appearance of that kind of thing. 
Uh, yeah, we should be clear. <laughs> We're not alleging. Exactly. I, like, I've never heard of Ollie, so I'm uh, I'm innocent of this. You should go wander around one. You'll be like, ah, okay, I gotcha. Here's an Oriental rug. Here's um, some off-brand bleach on the next aisle. Like, it's just, just that. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like Where that are varied. these places? All over the place. In really? every strip mall, in every city, in every in every country in the world. It may be one of those things that's so ubiquitous. I've just never noticed it. Yeah, like I right, think so. Right under my nose. It's possible. All right. So they set up an Ollie's right there on the Great Osage Trail. <laughs> and maybe this is a good place to take our first break. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Let me see. Okay. That sounds good. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. 
Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Chuck, so um, one of the things that um, made the Benders, made us call the Benders a murder family, is that they started murdering people pretty shortly after they set up this homestead along the Osage Trail. And one of the things about Kansas at the time was it was really, really violent, um, not just in the the wars against the Native Americans there. Um, there were also um, pro-slavery and anti-slavery factions that uh, committed atrocities against one another. Um, the Civil War, I read, kind of broke out thanks to Kansas, um, struggling which kind of state it was going to be. Um, so it was a really violent place. And it was with that kind of violent backdrop that a family could just kill a bunch of travelers with without anyone really taking notice, because it was also just the kind of place where people just went missing. It just happened. It was a really dangerous place to travel. So when it happened, it didn't exactly like set off the the media and search parties didn't usually come out for people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, However, when they start turning up in regular order around town, then you've got a problem. And that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, In May of 1871, the body... Uh, of a man was found in local Drum Creek. Uh, this is southeast of the Bender's house. And this is very key here. He had his, he'd been brained, he had his skull bashed in, yeah. and had his throat cut, which, as you will see, uh, becomes the uh, recurring MO of this family. Yep. Uh, two more men were found shortly after, I think a few months later, a few months after that. Um, another body was found all in the creek, and apparently they all um, had that same kind of uh, a mortal wound or that combination of injuries. And one of the um, bodies was identified as a man named William Jones, and he had been carrying, known to have been carrying about $250, which at the time was like a lot of money to today. It's about um, six grand, close to it. Okay, and he was going to pay off his mortgage for his homestead, which is something people did at that time, too. It's another thing that made it dangerous. A lot of people were walking around with a lot of cash because they were going to buy land, pay off mortgages, do God knows what, and there weren't banks, so they were traveling with cash. Uh, And this guy was exactly that. And there was a farmer whose land he was found on that was initially accused, but they were like, I I don't think it was him, so he got off. But I'm sure he was like, wait, what, what? No, it wasn't me. Yeah, and the way he got off to was kind of frustrating as a 
like a, a crime enthusiast reader uh-huh. because they investigated it and they found that uh, the wagon that dropped him had a very distinctive track that one of the back wheels was off center. Mm-hmm. And I kept waiting for that to come back <laughs> as like, remember that wagon? Mm-hmm. That's what eventually led to the killers. But uh, spoiler alert, that does not happen. So, so don't put a pin in it. Take the pin out of that. Yeah. Just take throw that pin away. Yeah. Break it in two. So um, the, the, the thing about, I think one of the reasons why people started getting hot under the collar about these murders too, is that this area got a really bad reputation really fast. Like it was like, you avoid the spot as best you can, like maybe go out of your way to avoid this area on the Osage Trail because people just wind up missing there. Um, And that kind of got people aware of like the whole, the whole problem that the area was facing, but they didn't know who it was. And they certainly hadn't centered on the benders. The benders just had a reputation as being odd and um, possibly a little um, maybe violently unusual, but not murderers by any stretch. They just weren't suspected for a really long time. Violently unusual. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What a reputation. Yeah, that's pretty serious. Uh, here's another story, too, that you do need to get that pin out, put it back together that you Josh told you to break oh, in I'm half. I'm sorry, everybody. And put a pin in this story because this was, uh, chronologically speaking, February 1873. Uh, a woman who didn't really have any money, apparently stopped at the home, asked to rest, asked for some food, uh, fell asleep on a bed in the back. And then when she woke up, there was Ma Bender and she pointed to a table covered in pistols and knives and said, there, your supper's ready. (laughs) So this lady somehow apparently manages to stay composed and not like (laughs) react with alarm. She goes, oh, like waking up. Fiddlesticks. Yeah, exactly. And said, I just need to step outside for a minute to to do something. Just apparently made a private excuse is what the uh, Kansas City Times said. Yeah. And, um, and ran and took off running barefoot, basically, you know, in her sleeping clothes, ran for a couple of miles to find help. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to parse together what this sentence from the Times even means, but I'm taking it to mean that it didn't really, it still didn't set off alarm bells for no, this family. it didn't. And that, by the way, is a classic example of being violently unusual. Right. <laughs> okay. You know? They were sure. just like, if you're violently unusual, you have the kind of house that people run two miles away from in their bare feet. (laughs) Yeah, where guns and knives are presented as supper. (laughs) Exactly, right? So this is just kind of going along. The the benders are humming along, doing their murdering thing. People don't really suspect them, but the area's got a bad reputation. But there was a a series of murders, actually a combo, one-two punch of murders, that finally led to their discovery as a murder family. And the first thing started with a guy named George Newton Longcore, who um, left Independence, Kansas, which was just to the west of Cherryvale along the Osage Trail. And he was on his way to Iowa, so he would have passed through Cherryvale, um, along with his 18-month-old daughter, Marianne. And he never made it to Iowa, and that caught the attention of another man, a physician named William York, who was his neighbor and was concerned enough that he started traveling around inquiring about him to see if he could figure out what happened to George and his daughter, Marianne. Yeah, good neighbor. Yeah, really good neighbor. Like to do such a thing, to take this trip. So starts investigating, finds out that the the horse and wagon team uh, was abandoned. 
uh, near Fort Scott, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And in the spring, um, I mean, I think that's what led him to go out there. So he's out there in the spring. He gets to Fort Scott. Uh, all that stuff is still there. Basically, all of their stuff had been abandoned. They were nowhere to be found. So he's like, something is going on. I need to go back to Independence. And then he disappears. Yeah. And that really caught the attention of people because it turned out Dr. William York, and if I said Edward the first time, please forgive me. His name was William, and he was a doctor, and he was a York, and there were two other Yorks. He had a brother named Edward who was neither here nor there, but he had a really important brother named uh, Alexander York who was a colonel from the Civil War and also a Kansas senator. So they, they had murdered the brother of a Kansas senator who was known to be out looking around the area of Cherryvale for somebody else who had gone missing, and that really got people's antenna up. Yeah, big time. Uh, enough to where they got a search party, uh, Colonel Alexander. Uh, I think that about 75 men set off. And they were, you know, they were scouring around. They were, uh, they basically kind of figured out at one point that they definitely went by the Bender's house. So let's go by mm -hmm. and talk to these people, see what's going on. Uh, when they do this, Ma Bender, um, you know, claims to not speak English, which seems like her, her main jam, her big joke besides here's your supper of guns and knives, <laughs> was I also don't speak English. Mm -hmm. uh, Kate, uh, young Kate says, I don't know anything about this guy. And then John Jr. said, hey, listen, I was shot at when I was out there at Drum Creek where all these like bodies have been found. Mm -hmm. And I can take you out there and like maybe the people that shot at me killed your friends as well. Yeah. And again, just imagine Jethro Clampett saying this and taking people out to look at a place where he claims to have been shot at, right? Mm. I just, I love that bit. So, um, so, but he's also just kooky, you know? Um, mm. Did you watch the Beverly Hillbillies? I did. Like a lot? Uh, yeah, yeah. I watched it a lot. So do you remember the time or the period, I guess it was a phase, where Jethro ended up um, becoming like a movie producer in Hollywood? Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, things got great. a little weird later in that it, show. It really did get weird. So it's not clear whether this is that Hollywood producer of Jethro or the original uh, mountaineer son of Jethro. Either okay. way, it works pretty good. But sure. he takes Alexander and the search party out there. And I guess he gave enough of an explanation and was, you know, pointing out different spots well enough that they're like, either they believed him or they just didn't really care. And they kind of headed on, basically. Yeah, I mean, he showed bullet holes in a tree, or not holes, but bullet markings, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, Kansas in the 1870s, about half the trees had bullets in them. Sure. So that doesn't prove anything. But like you said, it was enough at least to sniff them slightly off the case, uh, at least temporarily. Um, but they came back a few days later, said, listen, we heard about this lady over the past few days mm -hmm. who came here, and I don't want to really start anything, but she said that you said, here's your supper, and it was guns and knives. <laughs> there was something about a, a pistol supper or something like and that? And that's, that's weird. She ran away barefoot for two miles, and no one made a big deal out of it. But now we kind of want to know. This is where Ma Bender all of a sudden starts speaking English. Uh, mm -hmm. Apparently, the quote is, she flew into a violent passion mm -hmm. and went off saying, you know, that that lady was a witch, and she has uh, – you know, cursed Kate's coffee that, <laughs> and that she was going to drink. Right. And if she ever comes back here, I'm going to kill her. We got her out of here. She was a witch. 
Yes, she converted Kate's coffee into that mushroom coffee, and now Kate refuses to drink it. <laughs> What's mushroom coffee? It's exactly what it sounds like, except like magic it doesn't mushroom actually coffee? have coffee. No. Oh, it's made out of mushrooms? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you should try it sometime just to say you tried it. Yeah, that's what, uh, on those survival shows, they get like roots and twigs and boil that stuff down. And they're like, here's my coffee. morning coffee. Like, <laughs> it's All not right. coffee. Have fun with that. <laughs> so, um, so they, so again, still, like they were kind of like, okay, this family's really weird, but we don't really have anything on them. But it was enough that um, Alexander York kind of stuck around town and they held a meeting um with for basically the whole town that um, Pa and John Jr. even attended. And they said, hey, this place has a bad reputation. Something's going on. These two people, at the very least, have been have turned up missing. We need to just search everyone's homestead. And apparently, very uh, brassily, uh, at least one neighbor said, I've got nothing to hide. Search my homestead. And Pa said the same thing. He said, I don't either. You guys search my homestead. And so I guess they kind of did a slow motion search because it was at least a week, I saw, if not a couple weeks before they finally made it out to search the Bender's place. And when they showed up, they realized very quickly that the Bender's weren't there and probably hadn't been there since the night of that uh, meeting. Yeah, when they realized they told people to come search their house. (laughs) (laughs) You said what? My favorite part about Kate's jam is that they asked her to do the seance to, like, give some more information. Like, mm-hmm. well, if you're so good at that. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, it's like it's it's daytime. There's too many people around. Like, have you ever seen a seance? <laughs> she was like, why don't you come back tomorrow night, just the two of you, and we'll do one. And they were like, no, thank you. <laughs> right. I, I think I'll take the zero in that one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Dr. Colonel, no, Colonel Alexander York was a, a sharp dude, basically. Yeah. But the townspeople weren't sharp enough to go. I don't know if they were searching other places. I know there was a weather so. issue. Mm-hmm. But uh, like you said, by the time they got there, they were gonzos. Um, they left their uh, – they, they took a train because they found their horse and wagon and even their dog just on a public street near the train station. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they got the heck out of Dodge. Well, not out of Dodge. Out <laughs> of uh, what would become Cherryvale. Very close, very close. So the volunteers were like, well, I guess since they left, we can just go ahead and go on in. And apparently they found very quickly that there was a trap door in the floor. And when they opened the trap door, I guess a lot of them gagged because it smelled like decaying human remains. And even though they looked in there and there weren't actual bodies, there was so much blood and gore in this cellar, rotting, that it was enough to to make a person gag, even without a full body decomposing there. I think it's a great place for our second break. Oh, okay. Great. The height of suspense. Let's do it. We'll be back and talk about what was making that smell right after this. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. 
Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so they have a stone cellar under the house covered in blood and stinks like dead bodies, even though there's no dead bodies. And we said we were going to get to the bottom of the smell. Mm-hmm. The bottom of it is uh, there were dead bodies in there previously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they had this. pretty easy. They had the, the, um, the trap set up, the trap door set up, so it led to uh, a, a hole in the cellar. And then there was a like a way out or I guess a way in. Uh, from the foundation, and they would kill people, 
put them in the trapdoor, through the trapdoor to the cellar, and then retrieve them at night when there weren't prying eyes around. Yeah, pretty good system they had going. Uh, They started searching around. They did eventually find bodies. Uh, They found William York's body buried in the orchard. They found uh, Lonker's body buried along with young Marianne, who mm-hmm. uh, the two gentlemen had the head wounds and the and the throat wounds. Marianne, I've seen variously, was uh, either suffocated or suffocated from being buried alive. Man. Uh, but not brained and throat slit, at least. Uh, tragic either way, of course. Sure, sure. Uh, but very, very sad case. Uh, eventually, they would go on to find about a dozen bodies and were eventually implicated in as many as 21 murders. Yeah, um, they found it. Yeah, I saw 11, I think, including um, Marianne. Um, a bunch of them were in the orchard. They looked around the, the property and realized that there were a bunch of depressions in the orchard. And they're like, I wonder if those are graves. And um, they turned up people in the graves. They found somebody in the well. And then, yeah, when you add them together with all the people dumped in Drum Creek, I guess it comes to about 21. And they developed this uh, theory of what had happened, in part based on some uh, people who had narrowly escaped with their lives and hadn't realized it until after the benders um, became national news. But that curtain that they had dividing the tavern uh, the Ollie's bargain bin from the rest of the house um, was right behind the seat where they would have travelers and guests sit when they were eating a meal, right? Yeah, and they would have them sit there, and you know, from the other side, it would you know they would be silhouette, uh, silhouetted by the candlelight, so they could see clearly where they were, mm-hmm. and then Pa or uh, John Junior would uh, either use like the the butt of an axe or a hammer. To brain them, uh, they would put them in the cellar and rob them and then slit their throat. And uh, that's how it was sort of a, I don't know. <laughs> the fact, like, all right, let's go ahead and tell the stories about the other guys. Because after this came out, people started coming forward. Like you said, a guy named mm-hmm. Mr. Wetzel said, hey, wait a minute. They tried to get me to sit right by that curtain. And I wouldn't sit by the curtain. And Ma Bender got really mad about that. And so we got the heck out of there. Uh, and then another guy named William Pickering said, yeah, I didn't want to sit by that curtain because it was dirty and <laughs> gross. And I took a different seat and they got in a big fight and Kate came at me with a knife. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why they just didn't come up behind them and brain them. Like the maybe they felt the curtain offered some sort of cover. It just seems very like stubborn. <laughs> oh, like they had to follow procedure or else the person yeah, was like allowed you, to live. Yeah, like you have to sit there. I'm like, well, you can't murder a guy in another chair? Well, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think it would have been as easy to come up behind him from the from the curtain. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. It, just, it sounds a little – I mean, I guess they got away with it for a little while, so – but it, I don't know. It sounds a little uh, amateurish. <laughs> sure. Or they were such professionals, they just stuck to the script. And if the script deviated, Maybe. they didn't take chances. And there's there's actually a good suggestion of why they didn't take chances, because there were um, later discovered in the house bullet holes um, in the walls and in the door frames. And that was taken to be from people who had tried to fight back when they realized what was going on. Um, but I guess they had ultimately been unsuccessful because nobody escaped that house saying they had shot at everyone because they tried to brain them, you know? Or maybe it was just supper. <laughs> I guess so, a pistol, <laughs> pistol supper, you're right. Who knows? Uh, so the story gets out. 
uh, becomes a, you know, for the 1870s becomes a pretty big media storm, uh, whatever that looked like back, back then. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, it became like a, a bit of a tourist stop. Like people, it sounds like people essentially showed up there and kind of looted the place yeah. over time. Yeah. We're just kind of, you know, breaking up pieces of the cellar and uh, breaking up the bed frame and kind of just taking whatever they wanted with them. Yeah, and one of the reasons it became such a media frenzy is they were the first serial killers in America that America ever produced, at least as far as the media could tell. Um, A decade later, Austin would have what's frequently referred to as the first serial killer in America with the Servant Girl Annihilator, which is— This was uh, pre—I don't even know if I want to— do a podcast on that. No, I don't. No, that name alone, it's like, nah, that's all right. <laughs> that stopped me cold. Right. Uh, I mean, this was 10 years before Jack the Ripper even. Right, exactly. And H.H. H. Holmes, who's also often referred to as America's first serial killer, he wasn't until the um, 1830s or 1890s. Right. So he was like a good 20 years on. So it was a big deal. So not only did we have America's first serial killer, we had America's first dark tourists show up at their house and take yeah. everything they possibly could as a memento. But one of the things that happened about this being such a huge media sensation is that, like, the country was following this, and everyone was basically looking for the benders. Because don't forget, they'd vanished. No one knew which way they went. All they knew is that somewhere not too far off, they'd ridden their wagon to that train station, and the train ticket person had said, yeah, those four people definitely bought tickets, but I can't tell you where. Yeah, exactly. And they, said, they said, you can tell us. I'm a doctor. Right. <laughs> uh, they did arrest 12 men. Um, this sounds a little bit like, hey, we've got to kind of do something. So they arrest these guys who they alleged uh, maybe were involved as far as receiving stolen goods because they never really found a, a super clear motive. I mean – it seems like a lot of them may have had like traveling money or like the guy who had the 250 bucks, which was a lot of money at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- it was never like a hundred percent established. Like their motive was just to rob people, but they implicated these 12 guys as guys who may have helped them move uh, stolen items and, and money and stuff like that. <laughs> right. And a- apparently one of the guys was a member of a vigilante committee who tried to get on to help lead the investigation with Colonel uh, York, but uh, was denied and rejected. And uh, I think that kind of hurt his feelings. And I I think what it came down to was these guys, they were known as the regulators, these vigilantes. Mm -hmm. They were throat cutters. They would cut people's throat instead of like bringing them back to face trial. And then they just sort of tied it uh, to these people because of the throat cutting. Yeah, and a lot of Pretty innocent, a lot of well, a lot of innocent people died as a result. So these people were bad dudes. But I saw that it was more than just the throat cutting. That there was a way that they would particularly leave bodies, like you, they would put the right hand against the right breast and the left hand down, like just by their side, like a pledge of allegiance. Almost, but you're you're like as if you don't know which side of your chest to put your hand, and you you got it wrong, kind of like that. Okay. <laughs> and apparently they found a lot of the bodies in the orchard um, at the uh, at the Bender's place posed like this, basically, almost like this was this is the sign like this is what this gang did. So right. I don't think they were like in the gang, but it's possible that gang of vigilantes were fencing this stuff for them and that they were at least tangentially related, you know? Sure. It's possible. Sure. Um, when it comes down to who these people really were. Mm-hmm. We're not exactly sure. There's been a lot of uh, modern 
investigation about who they were, and they think that Ma was uh, a woman named Almira Meek um, and was from uh, upstate New York near the Adirondack Mountains, so not German at all. Um, There were some pretty sketchy accounts, uh, not super well-researched, that said she had been married before and that her husbands had all met violent deaths from head wounds. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know if that's just the internet running with something or if that's true. Uh, apparently, out of all of the four, the um, I, Ma and Kate seem to have actually been related. Although I don't know how. I didn't see how. Did you? Like how they were related? <laughs> no, no, no. Like they were supposed to be mother and daughter. But how did how did that ever get turned up? Like where where was that? How was that ever defined? Or, or I, I determined? think just people doing like modern research on lineage and stuff like that. Okay. Because they think they turned up her original name, too, uh, that Ma was married to a man named Griffith and that Kate was really Eliza Griffith. Okay. Uh, John Sr. apparently was John Flickinger uh, and was either from Germany or the Netherlands. And then John Jr., apparently his real name was the alias that he was using that I said to put a pin in, John Gerhardt. And now you can take that pin out and break it in half and throw it away. Yeah, so if he was using his real name as an alias, then uh, I'm not sure what was going on with John Jr. No, <laughs> no, he was a Jethro type. Don't forget. So um, the 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 there were people who were like, "Oh, we've seen the Benders. We saw the Benders here. They went this way. They went that way." Um, for years and years and years, it was um, like it, like people would would report on their whereabouts, and it's unclear to this day whether people did or didn't know where they went. Um, I saw there was one like kind of article, I guess, from the time that was basically like, yeah, everybody knows where they are, and th- there's just nothing anyone can do. They made it to another state, and everybody just kind of leaves everybody else alone out there. Other people have always reported like, no, they have no idea where they went. They just kind of vanished in a thin air. And then there were reports that were usually incorrect that they'd either been captured or that they'd been killed, um, or there was one report that Pa died by suicide in Lake Michigan in 1884. Right. Uh, another one said John Jr. and Kate went to uh, New Mexico, like sort of t- Texas-New Mexico border, mm-hmm. and John died of a stroke. Uh, some people said that vigilantes got them, and they burned Kate alive and shot and killed the other ones, uh, buried him in the prairies, but no one ever claimed uh, the pretty substantial reward, you know, yeah. close to 70 grand today. So it, it seems like none of these stories were probably true or maybe, who knows, maybe one of them was. There's just no way to know. So um, Laura Ingalls Wilder actually had a family story that I, I read that her daughter basically said, hey, you should weave this into our family story. So it's almost certainly not true that um, she and her family on their way to Homestead uh, passed by the the Bender's Tavern, but they didn't have enough money to go in for food or to stay there. But they settled in a close enough area that after the Benders were found out, um, her father, there was a knock on her family's door and her father was summoned outside with his gun and he didn't come back till morning. But that anytime you ever asked him about the Benders, he would say, They're, they'll never be found again. Um, right. <laughs> and again, this isn't true. And one of the other things that really undermines the vigilante theory is, again, 70000 in today's dollars was offered as a reward. Somebody from that group of vigilantes would have stepped up and taken it. Or so. 
even if they didn't, how could a group of vigilantes keep that secret for all that time that it still to this day never came up? Because that would be something to boast about, that you were among the, the group of vigilantes that caught and killed the, the bloody benders, you know? Sure. So yeah. I think the vigilante thing is... Get a book deal at the very least. For sure. Uh, these days, I think it's the kind of thing where a lot of Kansas Cityanites know about it. Um, you know, the, they're, they celebrated Bender Days for a while. <laughs> Uh, they had a replica at Cherryvale at one point of the Bender House. Mm-hmm. Um, more recently, uh, in fact, just a couple of years ago, uh, a gentleman named Bob Miller, who is a uh, is a financial advisor from Independence and a historian, and who knows, maybe a bit of a murder junkie, bought the land uh, and basically said, like, hey, the people that own this land never did anything with it. They never searched for the location of the the murder sites or the house and and I want to do that I want to like uh, have like professional expert investigations done on the property mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if he plans to like put up like a Lizzie Borden house or something um, but he wants to get to the bottom of what he can at least right yeah he's get he's said he's going to try to get with UK or K State I don't remember which one to do like ground penetrating surveys but I don't know what his end game is either but it's pretty neat that he bought it and one of the reasons why he's feeling good about finding something is the the family that he bought it from owned the land for like the last 65 previous years and they showed zero interest whatsoever in finding the actual site and they just turned it all into cropland so there's a good chance that there's something like the foundation maybe even that ghastly cellar, the well that the one guy was found in, remnants of the orchard. Who knows? There there could be plenty of stuff left there. Um, I don't know if they're going to... I believe they exhumed all of the bodies that they found, but that's not to say that they found every body, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There was a movie made uh, in 2016 called Bender that uh, does not look great. (laughs) Did you see the trailer? I no, I didn't. I just saw Livia quoted a user from IMDb that said it had some of the worst acting I've ever seen. <laughs> what was the trailer like? Uh, not. I mean, it didn't look great. I read some other reviews that said it was okay, but it wasn't like uh, super murdery or super scary. So it kind of fell too much toward like historical drama. Oh, uh, they they talked a lot about like raising and harvesting grain. Maybe. I don't know, but um, there was a thing that uh, in Red Dead Redemption 2 that is funny because I kind of forgot about this. I played that game mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, and um, there's a pig farm where your character shows up, and there's a creepy old lady and a creepy old man, and they're like trying to get you to stay for dinner. <laughs> oh, yeah? And apparently it's modeled after this, and you don't really know, you know when you're in those games, you don't know quite what to do. Like, I feel like I should leave. It's kind of like real life. Uh-huh. Like, uh, but they offer you libations, and you need libations. Uh-huh. So if you just, I don't. All right, if you if you want to play this game and you haven't, it's pretty old. Don't okay. listen to this part. Okay. But if you don't care, like most people, uh, don't drink the drink because as soon as you drink the drink, the screen goes woozy, and you wake up the next day, and I'm not sure that good things happened overnight. Okay, but you're not dead, huh? You're not dead. That's not very bendery. No, it's not. I think they were inspired by the benders a little bit, but I don't know. Supposedly, also, um, I've never read American Gods, the Neil Gaiman book. Have you? Have you read any of his stuff? 
Never have. I've read some of his short stories, and they're amazing. So I'm surprised I've never read his novels. But in American Gods, um, one of the characters is a Slavic god named Zernbog. That's what I'm okay. going with. <laughs> and every time the Benders killed somebody, he gained strength from their sacrifice, which is a pretty neat little take on the whole thing, you know? Because we're so, like, we have the blinders on here on Earth. We don't even realize this murder family is actually contributing to the well-being of a Slavic god. I thought you were going to say whenever they killed someone, they would yell, Zornberg! <laughs> That's right. Well, they did that too, but um, that was never captured in the articles from the time, Chuck, which, by the way, if you're like, I need to know more about the Bloody Benders, and I will not have it filtered through history. I need the original stuff. There's a website called genealogytrails.com, and if you search that and Bender Family in your favorite search engine, it will bring up the crime-related news articles from the time about the Bender family. And it's awesome because it has a bunch of other details, but also it's got like that old-timey 19th century, you know, crime reporting too. Right. It's just worth reading for sure. It's always fun. You got anything else about the Benders? Nothing else. Well, that's it about the Benders for now, everybody. Uh, And (laughs) since Chuck said nothing else, that means it's time for listener mail. Hey guys, stumbled across you in the summer of 2020 when I was employed as a uh, USPS Rural Carrier Associate. Hmm. Uh, not a rural juror. I heard a <laughs> Wait, podcast. wait, no, I need to know. What was that? I can't remember what that's from. 30 Rock. I still can't place it, but I'll think about it and I'll say Eureka later, okay? Well, what's funny is after we talked a little bit about 30 Rock on our sitcoms episode, mm-hmm. And Emily went out of town for a week, and I barreled through season one of 30 Rock mm-hmm. while she was gone, and it was so good. Yeah, it was really to good. To do it again. What a show. God, Alec Baldwin. Yeah. And Tracy Morgan. Yeah, and don't forget Liz Lemon. She was great, but, uh, oh boy, Baldwin and Tracy Morgan just slay me on that show. I mean, everyone on that show was really funny. Yeah, Tracy Morgan's best uh, quote was... Um, <laughs> Somebody offered him cashews, and he said, I'm glad you said that, because I thought it was a bowl of baby penises. <laughs> His other good one that I got was, uh, he's talking about how they go together like peanut butter, and he said, or like chicken in the chicken container. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. So, Rural Juror, though, was the oh, movie yeah. <laughs> that Jane Krakowski was in and the joke is she goes rrr, rrr, and like no one knows what the title of the movie is but it had gone so long they couldn't really ask her uh, what the name of the movie was I don't, I don't remember. remember I mean I'm gonna keep watching it she's so funny too I love her okay uh, alright back to the email uh, I have heard a podcast before but never gave it much thought until a friend insisted I uh, started to listen to some and I got to the point of stuff you should know where I'd talk so much about y'all my husband finally caved and said who the heck are Josh and Chuck, and when you're going to introduce me to your new friends? Mm-hmm. Uh, but now the show is our go-to for family road trips. Awesome. Uh, one neat thing I wanted to write about, though, was my last dental appointment in February. I decided <laughs> to bring along earbuds so I could listen to y'all while getting some fillings done. I asked the dentist and uh, the assistant if it would be okay to listen to the podcast while they work, and the dentist said it was okay, but asked me what I was going to listen to first. I told her it was stuff you should know. And how much I enjoyed it. And I was listening to the Chowchilla bus kidnapping episode. Mm-hmm. My dentist lit up and told me how awesome that episode was. Oh. Her assistant had never heard of the show, but the dentist uh, was happily talking about your show uh, so much that my entire visit 
uh, I didn't get to listen to the episode because I was half chatting to my dentist about stuff you should know. That's awesome. Uh, thank you for saving me while I was delivering people's mail and for keeping me company during my commutes. With love from the land of 10,000 lakes, uh, that is Tanya Vanderpool. From Texas. 10,000 lakes. Texas has like two lakes. What is that? Uh, Minnesota? Minnesota. Uh, yeah, right? 10,000 lakes, yeah. It's Minnesota. gotta be. Michigan? No. Minnesota? Yeah, it's Minnesota for sure. She really didn't say you're not toying with me? I don't know. I mean, I'm saying I, I'm not toying with you, but I'm also on the verge of saying so many things that are wrong <laughs> about lakes and states that I'm just stopping. That's fine. That's fine. But I, do, can you imagine the audacity of just signing off with the land of 10,000 lakes and not putting in parentheses what state you're talking about? I mean, I, I like saw in all my emails Chuck of the Peach State. Okay. Well, that is pretty audacious, Chuck. It's, it's violently Minnesota. unusual. Um, <laughs> what was the person's name again? Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> You're in fine form today, aren't you? You're being playful. I'm kidding. It was Tanya Vanderpool. Okay. Thanks a lot, Tanya. We appreciate that, and we're glad we can keep you company and that we made your dentist's appointment so special. If you want to get in touch with us like Tanya did and tell us about your dental visits, why not? You can send it in an email to stuffpodcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.